Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. The Unbelievable Podcast. I am BJ Rodell, back here with my guy, Drew Mahold. And today, we are taking a look at the Minnesota Vikings opponent this week, the Detroit Lions. So the Lions are heading to U.S. Bank Stadium this weekend to take on your Vikings. Vikings have the opportunity to do something they haven't done all season long, and that's win two games in a row. Uh, could be a big moment for Minnesota sports, um, given what's kind of gone on the last couple months here. Uh and Detroit, on the other hand, has a bit of an issue here that kind of makes this a difficult situation to break down, um, and that's that quarterback Matthew Stafford is now in COVID-19 protocol. Um, so we are under the impression that, that – honestly, we're not under any impression. because he, that, <laughs> um, But we will, we will work uh, kind of to kind of describe, you know, the differences. And obviously, you know, it's, it's pretty clear that – you know, Matthew Stafford, the step down, Chase Daniel is pretty significant, but uh, we'll take a look at both of those teams and, you know, kind of how they operate with or without Matthew Stafford um, against your Minnesota Vikings. And then, of course, we'll do our picks for the day. So uh, that's the game plan. Uh, so let's hop right into it. Let's talk a little bit about that quarterback situation, because while I think that Chase Daniel is probably one of the better backups in the NFL, at least based off of his history. Um, especially his history against the Vikings, um, yeah. recent his- history at that, it's never good to lose your starting quarterback, and it's definitely never lo- good to lose a starting quarterback as good as Matthew Stafford, and unfortunately that just might be the reality here this weekend. Right, and I think, you know, I'm not fully in tune or the expert, so to speak, on the NFL's, you know, COVID-19 reserve list, um, but I, my understanding is that a player goes on there, whether it's, close contact with somebody or if it is a positive test. And at this point, the Lions uh, did not release one way or the other there. So all we know is that he was in close contact with somebody that had it and he may or may not have COVID-19. And so um, I think there's something, I think it's what, three days maybe that he has to, you know, isolate and test negative. And then if he does that, he'll be able to uh, come back to the team, something along those lines. But obviously if he has it, he'll be out for this game this week so um there is a, a very good chance uh that you know Stafford doesn't play and it's Chase Daniels against the Vikings which uh you know as we remember from last year 
Chase Daniel uh, beat the Vikings at Soldier Field as a member of the Chicago Bears. So uh, there's good and bad with this, obviously. And, of course, you know, we don't want Stafford to have COVID or anything like that. It's just that in terms of the Vikings on the field, um, stopping Chase Daniel is obviously much easier than, than stopping Matthew Stafford. Um, and, and, you know, with that said, Vikings are it's this is one of those games where and, and we talked about this last week where or uh, the last episode about, you know, the Vikings, if they're going to make this run that they seem to think they can. And, and now kind of uh, both of us are kind of have fallen into the trap of believing that they can. Um, a game against a Matthew Stafford less Lions, which seems likely this week, uh, that's one you got to take care of with with ease. And so this is sort of that that test here. And I don't want to call it a trap game, but it's starting to feel like that if Stafford isn't playing. Well, if Stafford isn't playing, it's definitely a trap. And it's well, it's funny because the Vikings don't have any room for any more traps this year. Right. You know, no. <laughs> they've so, wasted all their traps already. They have. Yes. So um, that's an interesting situation, and this creates a you know. I described it as two different teams earlier, and that's really what this is. That's the kind of the dynamic that you know losing a guy like Matthew Stafford does for your for your team because Detroit is completely built around Matthew Stafford, right? The office that Daryl Bevel runs in Detroit is 100% fixated on the skill set of its quarterback, as it should be. But the problem with that is when the quarterback goes down, or in 2020 case, when he has to miss a game as a result of a pandemic virus. It completely shifts what you're able to do, what you want to do, how teams are going to oppose well, you. We saw what Detroit looked like last year when Stafford didn't play. I mean, they right. could do anything, you know? Different team and completely, so, right? Right, yep. So you look at the situation that they're dealing with now this year. Since you're right, I mean, we saw David Blau last year. We saw Jeff Driscoll for a little bit last year. Um, we saw many forms of this offense, and. You know, let's just be honest here. When Matthew Stafford's out there, this is a very competitive offense. They have some playmakers that can really do some damage. Um, they have some guys who, you know, like Kenny Galladay in specific, who are matchup nightmares. And you could probably say the same thing about TJ Hawkinson at tight end as well, despite the fact that he hasn't really, you know, blown up just yet. But this team is a lot different when he's got a guy who, with a cannon dropping back that can throw these guys the ball. Marvin Jones destroys the Vikings seemingly every year, despite, in my opinion, being a very pedestrian wide receiver. And that's the result Back to Marvin Jones. It's been a while since we've talked about Marvin Jones yeah, on this show. It is. It is. Uh, but my point being here is that when you have Stafford back there, all these guys are enhanced. He is a quarterback that definitely enhances the players around him because of, you know, his pocket presence, his ability to deliver a strike, um, his ability to deliver a strike 40, 50, 60 yards downfield, um, and just his ability to manage a football game effectively. He's been doing it his entire career, um, and he's one of the most successful quarterbacks that hasn't won a playoff game. So... Mm-hmm. You know, the Vikings Vikings fans knows that he can do it, but now you switch to Chase Daniel, and all of a sudden those weapons that I just mentioned, you know, Galladay, Jones, Hawkinson, you're not as worried about all three of those guys potentially beating you now because can Daniel even get it to all of those guys? Is he going to be asked to manage the game differently? And more importantly, their running game, while Adrian Peterson is back there and while they have a promising rookie in DeAndre Swift, is right now a disaster. So taking Matthew Stafford out of the equation puts the the Lions in the danger zone for sure, especially against a team like the Vikings, which, you know, what do we have? Like, what do the Vikings have defensively right now? They're missing three of their cornerbacks, according to the latest injury report still. You know, you take out a quarterback that can get downfield with effective, you know, effectively and efficiently and put in a guy who is, you know, again, Chase Man- Daniel's solid backup quarterback. I'm not taking anything away from him. 
but I'm using that adjective for a reason. He's a backup quarterback and a very good one at that, but he's not a starter. And he can't, he can't take advantage of the Vikings' defensive deficiencies just as well as their starting quarterback potentially could, assuming Stafford's in the game on Sunday. It, it, it makes it easier to contain the Lions' offense, right? You, you mean, Stafford has that, that big uh, whether it's Galladay, whether it's Marvin Jones, he can take the top off a of defense with anybody. And he can also, he has the mobility and like, the instincts to kind of create a play out of nothing. Uh, which I don't, I mean, I haven't, now I haven't watched a ton of Chase Daniel football, but I don't think he's got that quite like that. There's too much does. to watch. So I, it, it's right, which is, that the you know, there's always that joke about how much money he's made as a backup without really having any significant starts in his career. But uh, the, you, so you mentioned how depleted the Vikings defense is right now, at least in the secondary. And I think that's true. Uh, but I think, you know, if, 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 if Stafford's playing the game, I'll be concerned because I think he can take advantage of this, these cornerbacks quite a bit. And he will be, he is a guy that will go after say, uh, you know, like Chris Boyd over and over, right. Or Harrison right. hand over and over. Right. Um, if those guys aren't showing up for the day. And so the, he, like if it's Marvin Jones, I think Galladay might be hurt and might not even play this week, but uh, I would anticipate Marvin Jones is going to be targeted quite a bit and they're going to try to match him up on, you know, whichever cornerback they might see struggling the most, which could be any of them at this point, because I don't really see one guy that's like, oh, I could I trust that cornerback to ma- match up with Marvin Jones. Like maybe Jeff Gladney would be the number one guy right now. But either way, I think the, the Lions are going to go after these corners, try to get them in one on one as much as possible. I think any of the Lions receivers, Marvin Hall, uh, Danny Amendola, uh, Marvin Jones, those guys can all win one-on-one against the Vikings corner. So it'll be up to Zimmer to kind of scheme against that, uh, get pressure on Stafford or Daniel, and uh, make, I guess, you know, make uh, make the throws difficult, get some pressure in their face. Absolutely. And a lot of the same things that I said last week, I still really believe, right? You know, the Vikings pass rush, despite the fact that you get the big moment from DJ Wanham, and you get some nice pressure throughout that game against Aaron Rodgers, like this part of the unit is still you know something you're not excited about at the moment or not confident in at least you know going into this game this isn't this is an offensive line that is typically you know pretty beatable right I don't you know Taylor Decker's a solid bookend Haloti Vitae we've made so many jokes about throughout his career (laughs) you know uh yeah exactly you know Frank Ragnow is a solid player Jonah Jackson's a rookie I mean Tyrell Crosby meh you know, this is an offensive line that you theory in, in theory you could probably get after, and even more so without a guy like Stafford, who again he's just he's just a better quarterback. Like it doesn't really even need to be said when you got your starter in there and you got one of his quality. I mean, the, the everything is just different, and I trust the Vikings 150 times, 150 times more without having to worry about a guy like Stafford. Like. I'm just imagining the difference in the Bears' offense, and granted, that's a completely different scheme. But when you threw Chase Daniel in there as a res- instead of Mitchell Trubisky, or same thing with Kansas City as well, you throw Chase Daniel in there instead of Patrick Mahomes. I think that's probably the more, you know, comparative uh, situation given, you know, the playing style of Stafford versus Mahomes. Of course, no one's really on Mahomes' level, but you understand what I'm saying. Like the drop-off is just so significant that. It's hard to imagine the Vikings not having an advantage in this situation where if Stafford plays, it's hard to imagine finding a situation where the Vikings have any advantage against this offense. It's that big of a shift to me. So, you know, this pandemic could effectively find a way to give the Vikings a little bit more hope than, you know, kind of it starts following that path that we were 
you know, irrationally optimistically describing last week. All of a sudden, you get a win over a team that, you know, you, like you said, you got to take advantage of this type of situation. You have to. If you want to get back into this, like, not just for the, you know, record-wise, like, of course you need a win, but also, like, just the fact that, like, you're running out of games. Like, this needs to happen, you know? Yeah. So, if it's going to happen, I mean, you've got to hurt you got a hurt animal here. Like, you got to finish it off. This is, uh, you know, if, if you're in that camp that wants the Vikings to tank, the Stafford news is, like, a really tough break for you. Uh, you could have had a couple bad looking. weeks, honestly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you de- you definitely didn't expect the Vikings to go into Lambeau and win. Uh, and then you didn't expect Stafford to come out on uh, Wednesday of the, you know, uh, Wednesday before they play uh, the Vikings and with COVID. So, uh, that's you're. I think you're right. You know, uh, the D- Daniel does not have the play style that Stafford does. I think where Stafford is that home run hitter, and sometimes it gets him into trouble. Like he is prone to some of those interceptions, throwing into traffic, trying to make the big play. Uh, but I think the the reward of his play style are, outweighs the risk. And so, for every you know performance like last week against the Colts, you're going to have so many others where he uh, kind of takes over the game for you and carries the lines over the top against a bad defense like the Vikings. So uh, that's something to watch for sure. And I think it'll be, you know, if if Stafford plays, uh, it's going to be a nail biter game. I think, Um, I think if Chase Daniel plays, the Vikings should, should be the better team and win. But we said that several times this year and it has not been the case. So of of course the, the starting quarterback's the most important piece, but you know, with that chess piece potentially unavailable, You know, you have to look at the rest of this team. And, you know, I kind of like to use the Belichick method when I'm looking at an opposing team and thinking, how would you beat this team, right? Like you you say, all right, which guy do I need to take away to give our team the best advantage? And that generally is just, of course, the best player. Or sometimes it's the most functional player, most versatile player, or just a guy who just creates havoc within an offense. When you look at Detroit, and you just mentioned Kenny Galladay potentially being out, I think he's the obvious one here with his size and athletic ability and, you know, all of that. But assuming he's out as well, how many more pieces are you are there here that you would typically be afraid of against an average NFL defense with that's playing their first and second string corners? You know, DeAndre Swift is a good looking rookie, but he's not you know, he has not broken out in the same way that even like Clyde Edwards Hilaire has this year. There's just not there's no correlation yet for this rookie running back. The touches simply aren't there, the efficiency and performance isn't there. And then you've got Adrian Peterson who's hanging on by a thread. We know how he plays. We know especially how he plays at this point in his career. He's not something that you're like truly, you truly believe could take over a game. I don't see anyone else here that, you know, I guess Marvin Jones has taken over the game against the Vikings a couple times. Yes, that's what I was going to say. I mean, like, like for as much as I know you don't love Marvin Jones as a star player, like the guy has ripped the Vikings up a few times in the past. So few he's years, the guy so. you got a key on then, right? Like if right. Stafford's now out, that has been against Xavier Rhodes guy's gone now and he did score twice last week against the Colts Xavier Rhodes was a part of both of those plays so like maybe that's the maybe that's the issue maybe it's just Xavier Rhodes but uh, that's I do think Marvin Jones has the ability in this game against what the Vikings are going to be rolling out through at cornerback to be a difference maker and I would I would assume he'll get a lot of targets with Galladay not being in the game all right so a lot of kind of pieces in motion there on offense um which will, of course, affect the Vikings' strategy. But on the defensive side of the ball for the Lions, you know, how Kirk Cousins of the Vikings' offense will attack this defense. You know, you got an interesting situation because, you know, two years ago I would have said that Matt Patricia is one of the best defensive guys in football. 
I don't really believe that too much anymore. Um, and the pieces that they have here are, you know, they're nice. They have some nice players. Um, but a lot of this, I feel like there's more, and it might just be narrative, but there's more focus on the guys who are returning defensively to Minnesota, Everson Griffin, and then J. Ron Curse is here as well. Yeah. And there actually is on the stars on this defense. You look at this unit, and I mean, Jamie Collins is a great linebacker. He's had a great career. Justin Coleman is a guy that I will never forgive the Vikings for letting go because he's produced at a very high level for the nickel cornerback position, which is hard enough to find anywhere in the NFL. And then you like, you know, maybe Danny Shelton has potential, but he's not really lived up to it. But of course, you know, across this board here, I think I'm more interested in Everson Griffin returning and him, you know, just being mad enough to do well against the Vikings than I am any other one of these defensive players. Because this Lions defense, this isn't their strength. They've got nice pieces. They've got things that you can build around. But I don't see any significant strengths on this defense that really, you know, make me concerned based off of the way that the Vikings offense has performed recently and also the structure in which it's built and the way they try to attack defenses. Right. So the, the Lions defense has been beatable for a while now. And... I'm just looking at these numbers right now. They are the 28th best defense in the NFL on third down, allowing 49%, basically half of of their you know opportunities to get a stop on third down. They don't allow, uh, or they do allow a conversion. Um, they are like 22nd in turnovers generated. Uh, they are looking at the numbers here. Uh, really, their best quality is rush defense. They're 13th in yards per t- attempt allowed. Uh, but on the, at the same time, they're like, I think the Viking strength is probably running the football given what happened last week uh, against Green Bay and, you know, against the, the pass um, Detroit is 22nd in net yards per attempt allowed. So this is a very middling to below average defense all around the way you look at it. Um, and you look at the roster, like you said, uh, not a ton of these names pop out at you. Jamie Collins has been a star before. Um, you have, uh, you know, first round pick Jeff Okuda, of course, rookie cornerbacks always take some time to get, uh, assimilated into the league. Deron Harmon was kind of a big, uh, free agent signing from new England, I believe. Uh, so he's kind of a big name back there, but there's not quite the, the star name power that you'd want out of a defense trying to shut down uh, an offense that frankly for the Vikings as you know, poorly as the team maybe has played like this offense is supremely efficient this year is grading out well. And if you're a pro football focus guy, a lot of great pro football focus numbers on this Vikings. Um, and so you know, I, I like the Vikings offense in this game, you know, given, or I guess not given, I'm not going to say that, but provided that Kirk can stay away from the back breaking turnovers, the Vikings offense should roll in this game and put up a lot of kind of long scoring drives. Yeah. So this definitely seems like a type of team that you can run the ball against and run the ball efficiently against, right? Not just, um, you know, put up a high volume number, but consistently churning up yards the way that Dalvin Cook did last year, last week. Um, I think he's your lion tamer, tamer this week. Uh, the Vikings can get him going. You know, again, we saw last week how much of a difference maker the one guy can be um, if the guys up front are blocking efficiently, right? Uh, this will be a different football game. You're playing indoors. You're not, you know, dealing with the elements or having to, you know, take advantage of the elements, you might say, uh, the same way that, you did last week, but you're also facing a defense that is equally as much as, you know, inconsistent as Green Bay is in terms of allowing big plays or allowing chunk yardage, as, you know, announcers love to say. Um, 
But you look at a couple of the guys on this unit. I think the the one that stands out, who is a you know a, a smaller name, a guy that I'm not super familiar with, but is the defensive end Romeo Oquara. Uh, he's got five sacks so far this year. He's getting pressure at a, at a high rate. Uh, that is one guy to keep an eye on for this defense because he has had success this year in an area where just about everyone else on this unit has not. Uh, Trey Flowers, the other, the number two sacker on this team, he's on IR. So he's not playing in this game. He's probably your most productive pass rusher in terms of the you know cumulative statistics on this team, other than maybe, I guess, Everson Griffin, who, you know, based off of the recent play of his of him, has seemed to, you know, maybe lost a bit of a step here. But uh, you look at this unit as a whole, and it does seem like something the Vikings can take advantage of. Now, you have to keep an eye on Jamie Collins at all times because he is the type of linebacker who patrols the field effectively. No one gets by him. you got to have a hat on a hat um, in order to get Dalvin to that second level and beyond because he's simply not going to allow that playing style to – you know, come up against them without, you know, efficient block protection up front. And then, you know, in the secondary, you do have to, you know, you have to pay attention to guys like Jeff Okuda, who you're right. There are growing pains. There are very real growing pains with this guy in particular. But all of that said is he's also the same type of guy who can beat you and you bring up the backbreaking turnover. You know, he's a prime candidate for that yeah. because he's a guy who you want to take advantage of. You know, I'm thinking of Trey Waynes against Devontae Adams when Aaron Rodgers kept trying to take advantage of him. And finally, 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 Trey Waynes got him and the Vikings won that football game. Jeff Okuda is a better version of Trey Waynes with kind of a, sim- a similar profile right now where he's a rookie. So you feel like you can take advantage of him. But at the same time, the pre- the pedigree is there. And you got to be careful, especially when you're Kirk Cousins and you're prone to making that really dumb mistake and giving back a team an advantage that, that let's be real, I don't see an advantage right now. But one turnover, that's all it takes. And all of a sudden, you give Detroit's defense a chance to beat you. Right. And I think that's been sort of the the, the uh, kryptonite for the Vikings offense this year is they're, they're putting together, you know, in games very easily putting together long drives that end up in seven points. That's not the problem. It's the, you know, seem, and it seems like a lot of this is early in games, but the turnovers in their own territory, you know, on the first series of the drive, right? Um They'll, you know, Kirk will throw a pick, Kirk will fumble, something like that. And that's what's killing this team. Then they fall behind and then they're forced to throw. And when the defense can't get stops, that's been the formula for losing these games. And so uh, it's avoiding those early game turnovers. That's going to be the key for the Vikings throughout the rest of the season. If they're going to actually make this run that me and you believe that, well, hope that they can put together here. Uh, It's going to be Kirk limiting those early game turnovers that that's been kind of the costing uh, the big reason for a couple of these early season losses here. So basically what it comes down to here is if Matthew Stafford doesn't play and Dalvin Cook has a similar approach to the game that he, the way that he performed last week, the Vikings should be in a pretty good position here. They now, should. Yeah, in theory. Uh, so now all things considered, now um, from what we know as of this recording on Wednesday, November 4th, uh, what's your prediction? How does this game shape up? Uh, what is this, you know, what's the scoring differential look like? Are we in for another, you know, uh, potential heartbreaker situation? It feels like in my estimation that Detroit is another one of those teams, kind of like Minnesota this year in particular, where they play to their competition level and they give you their best effort most of the time. And then you have an outlier like last week and you sort of forget that they can play competitive with just about everyone. Or even if you don't think they can, they still seem to. 
Yeah, this that's this team's all over the map. So predicting the Vikings games, I mean, it's basically useless what we're doing here. But uh, I'm gonna go ahead and with what we know, right? Stafford potentially not playing, Kenny Galladay potentially not playing. Probably your two most valuable players on either side of the ball. Uh, potentially not there for the Lions. I'm going to pick the Vikings, um, and I, I say that you know. I, it's more confidently than I should be. And I think the, really the one thing I'm worried about is, again, the early Kirk game or Kirk Cousins uh, turnovers uh, that can kind of really disrupt the rhythm that your offense can get going on early. And if the Vikings can avoid that, this offense has been humming all season long. And so I like the Vikings to put up some big numbers in this game. Yeah. And get the win, of course. Yeah. So I'm going to take Minnesota too, but that is completely dependent on Matthew Stafford playing. Um if Matthew Stafford plays, I probably still take the Vikings, but I'm so much more hesitant. It's a homer pick, right? If you pick, right. if Stafford plays, it's probably right. a homer pick. It kind of is. Yeah, it feels that way for sure because you know how much of a toss-up every game against Detroit is. And, you know, they've performed better than the Vikings have this year when they're at full strength. They have. They've been the better football team. So it's hard to pick Minnesota here. But at the same time, like, it's a really easy pick to make. If the backup quarterback is in, you have to feel confident that your team's going to win yeah. the football game. The Vikings are not that bad. They're not a bottom three team <laughs> where they lose to backups too. I don't think they're not good. <laughs> but they lost to the backups bad. last year. They lost to Chase Daniel and Matt Moore last year. So, so I mean, that's a very fair point and something that we probably <laughs> should have considered more. But here we are. We're both picking Minnesota. We're buying in on this ridiculous idea that maybe, just maybe, the Vikings could you know mount a comeback here this season and put something together. Um, the rest of this week should probably be a little bit more interesting than the Vikings game, at least from a universal standpoint. We got a couple of good ones on here that, you know, have direct application to the playoff picture. Um, and that starts here with Green Bay against San Francisco. Now, keeping in mind, San Francisco is on about their third player at just about eight different positions, right? They're still in the hunt. So the fact that Nick Mullins has the potential here to, put another big blow to Green Bay's chances makes this an interesting football game, despite the fact that, you know, San Francisco doesn't look like a, a professional team right now. They don't have but anybody. I mean, Nick, they, exactly. they don't have anybody. Kittle's out for a long time. I think Nick, Nick Bosa's not playing, right? No, he's been out Sherman's not playing. Um, I mean, Warner's not like they have, they have so many guys out. And I think the number one receiver now is Brandon Ayuk, who was about their fifth number five receiver at the beginning of the season. And of course, Nick Mullins is playing quarterback, which in my opinion, isn't that different from Jimmy G, but that's a different discussion. Uh, I am going to pick green Bay here and I don't like it because I think for some reason, man, Kyle Shanahan has green Bay's number. And I don't, I don't know if the personnel being significantly different changes that too much, but I'm going to pick green Bay just because I think they'll respond strongly after getting embarrassed at home by Minnesota. So I'm going to pick San Francisco for the exact same reason that you just did. The fact that they got embarrassed by Minnesota, but that's why I'm taking San Francisco because what does San Francisco do? Well, they run the football and you're right. So it doesn't really mess at least in the recent history with Kyle Shanahan, who is running it has not really mattered, whether it's Tevin Coleman or Raheem Mostert, whoever it is. Um, So I'm going to take San Francisco here. Hesitantly. Because I think we I think we all know who the who's going to field the better team on Sunday, but it's a matter of hist- historical precedent. Green yep. Bay has been terrible against San Francisco. San Francisco runs the football. I'm just going to play the odds on that. Um, 
Next one here is Denver at Atlanta. Um, not a riveting game here, at least from an NFC North standpoint. Um, you got an NFC South opponent that loves to collapse. Then you've got Denver, who is headed by Drew Locke still. Uh, who do you got in this one? I got Denver. Uh, Drew Locke, he's got some, I don't know if you watched that comeback put together sure. last week, down 24 to three in the second half. Uh, he, you know, there's still a lot of, of growing to do there, but I think especially against a team like Atlanta that likes to find ways to lose, uh, I think the Broncos could put something together and they're going to be quietly four and four after a ton of early season injuries. So I'm going to take Denver as well. Uh, last week, you and I were talking about Justin Herbert having his moment, right? Like finally getting that big win that he seemingly deserves based off of his play. And instead, we got the big moment for Drew Locke, and he kind of takes that um, interesting yeah. step forward for a second-year quarterback. So now it's kind of the, uh, what are you going to do next, buddy? And it starts with Atlanta, which is a good place to start, right? Uh, to have your kind of, you know, your next moment. And I think he's going to take advantage of it. I mean, this team looks, like you said, they look a lot better than they did early in the season. So I'll take Denver as well. Uh, the next one here, Seattle and Buffalo. Buffalo has definitely looked shaky the last three weeks now. Uh, it's not just a couple of questionable games against good opponents. Yeah. It's now um, everyone. Uh, but they're still winning. They're winning enough. Um, and But they're playing against Seattle, who probably is fielding the MVP at the quarterback position. Russell Wilson is playing out of his mind and continue to do so last week against San Francisco. Um, who wins this one? I am going to pick Buffalo here, um, and I I don't love that, but uh, I think Buffalo. I think Josh Allen getting a defense that is as bad and giving up as many big plays as Seattle will be good for him, and I think they'll it'll turn into a shootout. But I think Buffalo has enough of a defense to maybe put a cap on uh, Wilson and the Seahawks at just uh, just enough to give Buffalo the edge. So. I'm going to go Seattle here. I'm just going to take the favorite, simply put. Uh, I'm going to take the, the team that's playing better football right now. And generally, sometimes that's just the right move to make when, uh, you know, when you're trying to of a football game, which is, you know, ridiculous. Uh, we do this for fun, obviously. But generally speaking, like the, the hot team tends to win more often than not. Very rarely do you see a team back into a position and still lose and still win that football game. Uh, Seattle's the hot team right here. I'm going to take the hot team. Uh, the next one here is a battle of two teams that are not very hot, and that's Chicago and Tennessee. Uh, Chicago, of course, coming off of that um, very close loss to New Orleans. Um, they played that game, I think, a hell of a lot better than most people thought they would, but in the, the end result was still the same. And then you've got Tennessee, who is uh, not playing their best football and coming off of you know their, one of their worst losses in recent, probably under Mike Vrabel in terms of the pedigree of their opponent. I'm going to take Tennessee, and if you are like myself and BJ and hoping for this Vikings rebound comeback in the season, you really want Tennessee to win this game against Chicago in terms of playoff implications. I know it's very early in the season for that, but uh, plus I think Tennessee is just a better team. I think last week's loss was more of a fluke than an actual uh, indication of how good that team is. So I'm going to take the Titans in this one. I'm also going to take Tennessee. Um, I don't think, you know, I just don't think te Chicago's good. I, they're just I don't think good. so either. They're not. I, don't, I just don't buy it. Um, I'm going to need three more good weeks, and really it starts here. Chicago can beat Tennessee, I'll believe, a little bit more. But you have so much flux to the quarterback position. When you're discussing bringing Mitchell Trubisky off the bench to save your offense, it's probably not a great situation. That's what so we know I'm, about Trubisky, yeah. Exactly. So I'm going to take Tennessee here, and we're going to move forward. Um, 
Baltimore and Indianapolis. Indianapolis is kind of that weird team right now. It's just sort of hanging around. Uh, Phillip Rivers just guided them to a 40-point performance against Detroit last week. Uh, so, you know, I guess that's what the Lions are coming to Minnesota with. Uh, and Baltimore, on the other hand, is not playing great <laughs> straight up. I know they played the Steelers last week. They didn't look that good doing it, despite the fact that they did have the opportunity to win at the end of the game. But Lamar Jackson does not look like the MVP this year. I'll be that's if right. someone's not already saying it, I'm going to be the, I'll be the first one. He does not look that good this year. He's not that combination of being able to go vertical and run the football. And Indianapolis poses problems defensively. They're not at the same level as the Steelers because no one could pass rush quite like Pittsburgh right now. But Indianapolis has the tools defensively to, in theory, turn Lamar Jackson into a one-dimensional player. And that's been the secret to beating him this year. I'm going to take Baltimore here. Uh, hesitantly, like you said, I like Indianapolis defense a lot. And I think it'll be a low-scoring game. But uh, for... All this talk about the Colts defense, the Ravens defense is also very good. And I think it could be one of those where Phillip Rivers gets very little done against the Ravens defense. So uh, I take I'm taking this the Ravens based on their defense, not uh, based on their offense. Yeah, I'm going to take Baltimore as well. And I'm going to take it for that same reason. Uh, Rivers is prone to mistakes. Baltimore is prone to making quarterbacks make mistakes. Um, I bet on a Marcus Peters interception this week. That's kind of where I'm at with this one. So um, I'll go Baltimore as well. Uh, next one here is Carolina at Kansas City. Uh, Carolina's sliding a little bit here. Uh, looked yep. very solid early on. Started to think they might have something in terms of a playoff roster this year under Matt Rule. Doesn't look that way right now. Kansas City, on the other hand, just absolutely destroyed the Jets. Um, how are we going yeah. on this one? Uh, taking Kansas City. Uh, no, no further comments needed here. Yeah, I'm taking Kansas City as well, like we said before. Until further notice, Kansas City is kind of the lock. Um, we got an NFC East barn burner here between the New York Giants and Washington football team. Both of these teams don't look good. Uh, the Giants, you know, actually played pretty well against Tampa Bay last week. Washington didn't play last week, and, you know, they're still Washington. So um, who you got in this one? Daniel Jones handed that win to Tom Brady last week with some of the mistakes he made. I'm taking Washington in this game because I think Washington defense is kind of sneaky, and they'll force Daniel Jones into some mistakes. Yeah, it's kind of hard not to predict a Daniel Jones mistake right now. That's just the way he's playing, yeah. the quarterback he is right now. And I think it's really the quarterback he is, period. I don't know if that's going to change. So it's definitely not changing this week. So I'm going to take Washington um, as well. Uh, Houston and Jacksonville. So we are heading to the AFC South here uh, between their two bottom dwellers. Um, Gardner Minshew not playing this week. You got a sixth round rookie with, like you mentioned earlier on the show. Um, last week, or excuse me, earlier this week, I should say. And you've got Houston, who is still in flux, but kind of playing more competitively under Romeo Cornell, I suppose. Um, how's this one shake out? When was the last time a one in six team was a seven point favorite on the road? That has Hard to, to have been, that's that can't have happened recently. I'm taking Houston just because of how bad Jacksonville looks right now. Uh, like like Jacksonville was one and zero this year. Uh, after beating the Colts at home. And since then, it's been ugly. And so I'm going to take the Texans. Yep, I'm going to take the Texans as well. Um, Jacksonville has been everything all those former players said it was right after week one. Yeah. It just took a week to like kind of acknowledge it, and now that's what they are. Yeah. This is one of the worst teams in football, and they're playing like it. So I'm going to take Houston. Um, battle between two teams that have recently relocated here. we got the Las Vegas Ra Raiders and Los Angeles Chargers. Justin Herbert gets another shot at that elusive victory. Uh, Las Vegas, on the other hand, I mentioned it last week, playing a lot better than most people are giving him credit for. 
Um, and they're demanding that respect. I don't know if they're going to get it because Derek Carr, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if he's ever going to get the respect that he wants. But wow. regardless, uh, you got a matchup here between two uh, opponents from the same division, same conference. It's an important position here. Um, if either one of these teams want to climb back into it, um, who you got in this one? I, I'm going to pick the Chargers. I, I think, yeah, I think eventually Herbert's going to get that win. He's playing too well. He's throwing the ball too well, and he, frankly, is kind of making a mockery of whatever Oregon's coaching staff did for him um, to, you know, he's he's showing out in the NFL, and we're all wrong for what we thought about him prior. But um, that's due to turn into a win soon. I think the Raiders will surrender that to him. Yeah, this does seem like a good pick to, you know, a good pick. I thought last week was a good pick, honestly, against Denver. But uh, they're playing at home here, which, of course, doesn't really matter, you know, COVID or not in with the Chargers. But um, yeah, I think this is the opportunity. I think he gets it done. So I'm going to take the Chargers as well. Uh, this game would typically be really fun, but no Dak Prescott. So Pitt at Dallas Steelers are 7-0 for the first time in their history. I think we know where we're going with this one. Yeah, we're taking Pittsburgh against whoever the heck is going to be quarterback for Dallas. <laughs> um, the next one on here, a little bit more interesting. Uh, Miami and Arizona. Arizona showed a lot of promise earlier in this season. Uh, kind of dipped a little bit against, you know, games that they thought they would have, particularly Carolina on my on my mind. Um, and Miami on the other side is, again, supposed to be in year two of their tank, and yet they're still finding ways to win. Now, Tua Tagovailoa, or however the hell you pronounce that last name, that's going to be a problem for like 15 years. Um, he didn't play particularly well in his debut. He w- honestly, he wasn't even good. He wasn't a factor. He wasn't, like, bad, but it was just Miami's defense had these turnovers and then the punt return, and, like, he wasn't even – it didn't matter who was the quarterback for the Dolphins. Right. They were winning that game anyway. So he's going to have to play for real now because Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury are going to score points, and Miami's going to need to keep up with them. Are they able to keep up with them, or does Arizona get the win here this weekend? I'm taking Arizona. I believe in Arizona. Uh, you know, for as little uh, success as Cliff Kingsbury maybe has as a college head coach, he's got the – uh, the offensive weapons to do it at the NFL level right now. And I trust Murray. I trust DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, I, I trust that offense to put up points. This will be, I think, take the over in this game. I think there'll be a lot of points scored. I got the Cardinals. Yeah, I'm going to take the Cardinals as well. Uh, I just think that the more complete team right now, a lot of surprises for Miami this year. A lot of surprises last year, honestly. Uh, but they're ascending too quickly. I don't think they're quite there. I think Arizona is more um, on that plane where they're ready to ascend to a playoff contender level. Miami probably a year or two away. So I'm going to take Arizona here. Now, the Sunday night football game, I believe, this might be the most fun Sunday night football game we've had this season. Uh, it's Again, it's the Saints. I don't know why they're always on national television, but they're playing again here on national television. But they're playing against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks now. So this is a game that has direct playoff implications down the road here in a couple months. Uh, it's also a showdown of two quarterbacks that are jockeying for the all-time passing touchdown lead. Yeah, I know. Which is kind of fun just to, because we get another one of these too, uh, because two NFC South teams. So a lot of playoff implications, a lot of historical implications, also a lot of really good football players just on the field for this game. Uh, So this should be a fun one here. Who comes out ahead, Drew Brees or Tom Brady? I got Tampa Bay. Uh, I Now, I've sort of been a doubter of the Saints for a while, and even though they keep winning each week, I'm still quite not on that train yet. Tampa Bay seems like they figured stuff out. Uh, they've got Gronk involved. He seems to be back in football shape now. And one thing to note, too, Antonio Brown making his debut as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. He's going to get it. And I don't know how much he'll be involved, but 
I know Evans has been hurt. I know Chris Godwin is hurt still. Scotty Miller's been hurt. Like Brady needs a weapon at receiver, and I have a suspicion that he'll go to Antonio Brown kind of often here as long as Bruce Arians give him the opportunity. So for me, this one's a coin flip because of the reasons you just said about Tampa Bay, and then you know you can illustrate the same thing for New Orleans. You know, you got Alvin Kamara playing out of his mind, probably the best football he's played in his career. Uh, and then you got Drew Brees, who historically remains one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and especially one of the best downfield packer passers. Now, something you love to say is he's not playing at home this week, so that's a consideration you might want to take into account. Now, if I was putting all the money in my bank account on this game, I think I'd probably lean Tampa Bay too. For the fun of our game, I think this is a good one to split on, though, because I think this is a bit of a coin flip. So I'm going to take Drew Brees and the Saints. Uh, generally speaking, I tell you to never bet against Tom Brady. Uh, this is one of those situations where you might be able to slip one by. Just because you're dealing with a similar pedigree at the quarterback position, you're dealing with Sean Payton, who's one of the best offensive minds calling games yeah. in football and has been for some time now. And you've got some great playmakers there for Brees to work with. Now, Tampa Bay has the most playmakers that being said, they still struggle to run the football, something that the Saints definitely can do, and that might end up being the edge here this weekend, something to keep an eye out for. But Drew and I split here. I'm going New Orleans. He's on Tampa Bay, which leads us to a Monday night game, which I could not care less about. Uh, the New England Patriots, who are 2-5, and five, and the New York Jets, who I believe are 0-7. So This might be the worst Monday night game in recent memory. Uh, absolutely. And it's, I mean, it's, the only... The only intriguing thing about it for me is that the, it's the, the like the spectacle of the Patriots being bad because they haven't been bad for so long. It's like right. you you, you want to see them be bad, uh, but I don't want to watch the Jets. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm taking the Patriots. I think Bill Belichick will light it up defensively against the Jets, but I, that's the only reason I'm picking the Patriots. I just I just don't want to watch this. <laughs> I'm gonna take New England too, and really it comes down to one question for me: Who do you trust calling a football game more, Bill Belichick or Adam Gase? Oh yeah, That's, I think it's pretty clear who. Still go back gonna... to that, that. Still go back to that joke my roommate made about you know why aren't the why haven't the Jets fired Adam Gase yet? Well, because they're trying to tank. Adam Gase trying his best is the best thing for the organization to get the first pick. So they're gonna keep rolling with Gase. All right, so we're both on New England here. Uh, definitely some opportunity here for Drew to get back in it. Last week was one of our well, both of our worst performances as we saw games that were. Seemed predictable flip on the other direction, particularly that Minnesota Green Bay game, which, you know, I'm yeah. still a little bit excited about. But uh, as it stands today, I'm at 78 and 41 cumulative. Drew is 77 and 42. He made back two games last week. I went six and eight. He went eight and six. So uh, that's where we're headed going into week nine now. Uh, we just went through our games. We're all set on our analysis for the game. So um, any final thoughts here before we close out the show? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, Everson Griffin returning, J. Ron Curse returning, Adrian Pearson returning. Uh, it would be cool to be at this game as a fan. Of course, we can't, but that would be a cool experience to be at. Hoping, uh, hopefully, they don't get they're not too familiar with the stadium and the Vikings can roll. Absolutely, should be should, will be nice to see Everson Griffin come home. Of course, we've already done this with Adrian Peterson, so not necessarily as exciting there. But I'm interested in J. Ron Curse. It's fun. Uh, it's funny you bring that up again because I mean I kind of glossed over that earlier, but he was pissed. He was not oh, yeah. happy, and yep. he's probably. And he was making. Up to this I think game. he he made jokes on Twitter about like, uh, I think when the Lions had beaten the Falcons maybe to get the three and three, and there he he made a joke about, oh, if you go to Detroit, you're gonna you know say goodbye to winning or whatever it was, and uh, and at that point the Vikings were one and five, and he was three and three, and uh, you know I I I would make the same joke if I was him, you know, and now uh, 
the tide have turned a little bit there. But the Vikings have a chance to kind of even that out. Absolutely. Yeah. If the Vikings win here, they move to three and five and they're actually tied with the Lions in the yeah. NFC. I mean, North. Hey, the Vikings could really use J. Ron Curse right now in that secondary. Uh, <laughs> when he played a little bit of nickel, like that could be nice for the Vikes right now. But <laughs> alas, here we are. And still, that being said, three cornerbacks down. We still have the Vikings in position here uh, to potentially get their third win of the season and really creep back into it and set up that uh, interesting Monday night matchup next oh, week. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, the show looks a lot differently if the Vikings win um, on Sunday against Detroit. So hopefully we'll be back here um, on Tuesday to break down a, a winner for you guys. Um, and then we'll go into next week with kind of our optimism at, uh, you know, an irrationally high level. So uh, thanks for joining us this week. Um, as always, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever else podcasts can be found. Uh, you can find our show on Daily Norseman as well as YouTube as well. Use those comment sections. I love reading that stuff from you guys and hearing your thoughts. Uh, that's always fun for me. And then remember to check out the rest of the Climbing the Pocket Network. Those plenty of other guys here that are producing shows on a regular basis. Give them a listen. Uh, check out their analysis. They do a great job as well. So uh, thank you for being here with us. Excuse me. Thank you for being here with us. And we will catch you next week. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Support for Pivot comes from Polestar. At Polestar, every inch of every vehicle they design is thoughtfully made. They're made to transform auto performance, accelerating from 0 to 60 in less than 4.2 seconds with fully electric all-wheel drive. They're made to elevate the driving experience with LED headlights and a panoramic glass roof. And they're made to uphold a greater responsibility to the planet using sustainable materials and energy-saving systems. The result is a car that combines the best of today with the technology of tomorrow. Pure performance, pure design, Polestar. Design yours and book a test drive today at polestar.com.